Welcome to the audio podcast, the weekly sermon of the First Presbyterian Church of Brooklyn. We continue our multi-access worship both online in our recently renovated sanctuary. Sunday morning service is in person at 11 a.m. and we are live on firstchurchbrooklyn.org as well as the church Facebook page at facebook.com slash firstchurchbrooklyn. All one word, no spaces. Now, this week's message. Let me pray this morning. Dear God, thank you for your goodness and your grace, for your love for us, which is so consistent even when we are not consistent, which is faithful to us even when we fail to be faithful. God, even as I struggle to pray out of a wavering faith. God, I pray you would understand that my life is a prayer. That everything that I do with myself is an attempt to honor you. I pray that that would be received well this morning. God, and that you would pick up my flagging faith and say something good and true and beautiful this morning. Amen. This has been a season in which faith has been hard to come by for me. I don't know what you all have been observing. I know that we're all kind of siloed off into our little algorithmic universes, just being fed back our worldviews, you know, and our interests. But some of the things that I've seen over the last few weeks have changed me in a way that I will never recover from. Certain things have broken in me, in my faith in God, in my faith in other people. As I observe the prevarication and rationalization in the face of mass suffering. But I've been places like this before. And I understand that when I'm feeling this way, I'm standing at the threshold of something deeper, something more true, more powerful, more beautiful than the former thing. And when I'm in these spaces, there are these texts which haunt me beautifully. And I want to share this thinking with you this morning. This first text is Genesis 15. It's the covenant with Abraham, and most of us are familiar with this as a theological, historical moment in our tradition. God makes a covenant with Abraham. Everything begins here in a sense. But do you notice how the covenant takes shape? What's actually happening here in the story, the way that the relationship is codified, it's with this this strange little ceremony. And it's a ceremony that was common to the ancient Levant. It was called a suzerainty treaty. So there'd be a suzerain who is sort of the more powerful figure in the relationship. So it'd be the king of an empire, right? Or a, a business person 
who was over an employee or you know some some business partner who had less power and then that less powerful party was called the vassal so there's a suzerain and the vassal and they make this treaty in this form where the vassal cuts pieces of an animal cuts it into two pieces lays them out in a line across from one another and then is supposed to walk through the pieces as a sign of the covenant saying if I don't uphold my end of the covenant I will end up like this I walk through the vivisected corpses as a promise that I will hold up my end of the covenant and if I don't this will be my fate but do you notice what's so interesting about this story? Is it starting to come into view? When Abraham is supposed to do this, God puts him into a deep sleep, like God did with Adam. And instead of Abraham passing through to shoulder the burdens of this relationship, for the obligations to become his own and the threat of death to hang over his life, God passes through. The vivisected corpses God the more powerful one the one if if we were working with a model of worldly power would be the imperial king would be the force that could be vindictive and fickle and capricious and say yeah we've made this agreement but what are you gonna do to me what do I what 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 leverage do you have over to me to make sure that I fulfill this end of the covenant? That's not really how this works. But God, in the same way that Jesus empties himself and takes on the form of a slave, puts himself in the most vulnerable position. He begins to walk through the vivisected corpses, which is a way of saying that this relationship is on my shoulders. That if there is failure here, if there's breakdown and fracture, I'm going to hold responsibility for that. And then we see this throughout Israel's relationship with God, right, over and over again, failing to, uh, to live up to their terms of the covenant. But God never rejects them. God calls them into a better way, Right? There are terms to this covenant, there are boundaries. And God is calling them out when these boundaries have been broken or transgressed. But God never abandons a people, even when faith is hard to find. Even when faithfulness is hard to do. This is a pattern that's carried into the Christian New Testament. In our Philippians reading, there's, there's a few texts like this. Paul uses this language over and over where he talks about not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that comes through the faith, through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God based on faith. And we have this sense, the Christian tradition has mostly interpreted this to mean you have faith, you assent to a proposition you believe in God and that kind of work of generating belief out of your own body and soul translates into Jesus's righteousness right then we have access to salvation but over the last couple of decades a different reading of this text has been coming into focus 
biblical scholars have been interpreting this and looking at the Greek and thinking that what's actually being communicated here is not that concept, but something very different. Something much more like the Abraham covenant. It's this phrase, Christus pistu, faith in Christ. And what they say is that that's not actually what the phrase means. It doesn't mean faith in Christ. In Christ, it means the faithfulness of Christ. Which means that it's not actually our faith, something we have to always have and generate out of our own selves that puts us into right relationship with God. It's Jesus' faithfulness. Do do you're starting to get the implication? It means that if there are moments when faith is hard to have, Christ is faithful for you. Christ has the faith that you can't muster because the world you see is so broken. Because life is so painful. And in the midst of that, if you can see what we're seeing and, and your faith is unshaken, I don't trust that faith. I don't know if it's serious enough if you can't have doubt. If you look at the world and you see people suffering and you don't see God stepping in to save those people, and your faith comes easy after that? No, the deeper call, the deeper call is to recognize our moral obligation to approach the suffering of the world without holding anything back, without worrying that if I were to acknowledge this, if I were to look this in the eye, I would lose the soft, sensitive faith that I have, which is predicated on another world, not this one, not this world which is full of pain and suffering, but some other thing. But loved ones, where Christ shows up, where God is, is in between those bodies. God is between the vivisected corpses. God is under the rubble. God is the half a child that a Palestinian parent is holding. God is on the cross. God is everywhere pain and suffering is. And those, those who are suffering these things, in this moment, what I am seeing is an intensification of faith. What I see is children who continue to pray prayers to God in the face of what they're suffering. And so for us, even if our faith is harder to find, even if we can't have a faith like that, God is faithful for us. So I want to ask something of you this morning too. When faith is hard to have, when faithfulness is hard to do, and our relationship with God, I think the same is true of our life and community together. Our faith in one another can sometimes waver. Our faithfulness to this project of love and liberation, of communicating the gospel to the entire world 
can be hard to have faith in these people and these things. But when that moment comes, can we have faith for one another? When you're encountering someone who is struggling with their faith, struggling with a relationship in this community, can you have faith for them? I've talked to multiple new member groups about the way our liturgy works, the way that we pray, the things that we affirm together, like, like the, nice, the Apostles' Creed that we read earlier today. And I said, we don't always all believe all of the things that we're saying. There's so much diversity in this place, right, every Sunday morning. We don't all have the exact same theology. But we say these things together, even when our hope, our faith, our trust, even our love is flagging, because we know that the people around us can speak that faith for us. So I wonder this morning, as we continue to go through a painful and difficult and even divisive season, if we can have faith for one another, if as we are walking alongside one another, sometimes worried, anxious, or mistrustful, can we have faith in the middle of it all? Remember God's faithfulness for you. Remember your faithfulness to one another. And as we continue forward deeper into these mysteries together, be honest, be clear, and love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself by any means necessary. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust you were fed as well as challenged by the content. This audio archive supplements a video library of the entire service. The video, along with music from our internationally recognized gospel choir, is available on firstchurchbrooklyn.org. We provide multi-access worship options both in person and online Sunday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern Time. We are live in the sanctuary, as well as firstchurchbrooklyn.org, and the church Facebook page at facebook.com slash firstchurchbrooklyn. All one word, no spaces. Visit firstchurchbrooklyn.org for more information on both online and in-person worship. Remember that now, as always, you are loved.